As the Husk is an agriculture-focused podcast, I would be amiss not to ask the really important questions. Like, what is corn? All my life I've been told tomatoes were a vegetable. Now it's a fruit. I need to know, is corn a vegetable? I don't know. I think I'd consider popcorn a, a grain, I guess. Um, it's a dried, It's you're using the dried grain, right? It's not like sweet corn where you're eating uh, the grain before it dries. Okay. So I guess I would consider it a grain. Well, with each passing day, the list of vegetables grows smaller and smaller. So I suppose in this case, it's withering? In any case, back on today's topic. Yeah, so popcorn got popular in the early 1900s. Since then, it's kind of been on the rise. Uh, It started with just a small, uh, a few small companies, but now it's uh, to a few major players in the industry. Um, So one of the biggest players is ConAgra Foods. Um, They grow most of the popcorn or contract most of the popcorn production. You're listening to The Husk, a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Department of Agricultural Leadership, Education, and Communication. I'm your host today, Grace McDonald. All right, so popcorn, yeah? Today's focus is on the delicious, crunchy treat that is so iconically American, eaten by the native forebears of what is now Peru in around 4700 B.C., It spread across the entirety of the Americas, and now the world. Corn, and by that uh, process, popcorn, ties its existence with the evolution of farming itself. If we fast forward time, we have the popcorn that we enjoy today, as this is a podcast about explaining science, interviewing scientists, and people who work in the ag industry. Let's dive a little deeper. Popcorn is an amazing science project all in and of itself. Try it at home. A popcorn kernel has a small droplet of water covered by an outer shell. That shell is known as the hull. It's almost like a water balloon. In the case of a popcorn kernel, we can't throw it at the ground and make it pop. Instead, we have to use some heat. For our science experiment, we'll pour oil into a hot pot, drop our popcorn kernels in it, and we'll see what happens. A little scientific knowledge tells us that when water is heated up, it turns to steam. Like the water balloon, the popcorn kernel filled with water, the steam expands. It's created inside the kernel, and the pressure can't uh, escape. So it builds and builds until it finally explodes. Unlike a water balloon, however, the kernel doesn't just drop out all its water. Instead, it turns into a white, fluffy piece of deliciousness that is enjoyed in movie theaters all across the world. As fun as some scientific experiments are, we still have a lot of time left. Before we see it in stores, popcorn must be grown out in the field. For this week's episode of The Husk, I sat down with two amazing scientists, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Yeah, my name is Ethan Barnes. I'm a PhD candidate in agronomy weed science, 
and I research weed control and popcorn. I'm Amit Chala, a Nebraska Extension Weed Management Specialist. Ethan is my outstanding PhD student. Um, he also completed his master's with me, where he was working on some common ragweed competition in soybean and how to control glyphosate-resistant common ragweed uh, in uh, soybean. And uh, then he started his PhD in my program, and right now he's working on a number of uh, projects related with uh, weed control in popcorn. Yeah, so a lot of my research is pretty applied, um, so it's not super fancy, but uh, what I do is try to improve weed control in popcorn. But uh, there is not much information was available on weed control and response of a number of commonly grown popcorn hybrids to herbicides. And so there was a lack of information, and that's why uh, we have a great uh, uh, projects with Ethan. Ethan is right now finding out uh, which are the best uh, herbicide options for weed control in popcorn. So again, there's a lot uh, less options than there is in field corn as far as herbicides. And why that's important is because Nebraska produces about 45% of the U.S. popcorn supply, and a lot of herbicide labels don't include popcorn. Um, so what I'm trying to do is expand herbicide labels or take steps to expanding herbicide labels so that popcorn producers have more options. So it's kind of a risk assessment, a quality insurance assessment. Um, if we can know how far it can transfer, we know how far popcorn breeders or even popcorn growers should contact their neighbors and uh, make sure to know what type of field corn they're growing. Um, there is some work to identify which hybrids. It's not my work, but some of the popcorn companies are trying to test all the field corn hybrids just so they can have a list of which um, hybrids, which field corn hybrids they should avoid as border or whatnot. Crops in and around a field are right up next to each other. Just because it may look like it's all the same corn on the highway doesn't mean it's the same breed or even especially have the same use. It's all about quality. When a product is being shipped off anywhere in the country or even the world, consumers expect what they get is what everyone else is getting. It's all about quality. This brings up the question of why farmers just can't plant the same crop side by side. Why is cross-pollination even a problem? Why can't my field corn touch my popcorn? They're different breeds after all. Why does the pollen matter? Classical popcorn can't be pollinated by field corn, so you could grow it right next to a field corn field and it wouldn't be cross-pollinated. So if you cross-pollinate popcorn and then grow that seed, it's no longer 100% popcorn. It's half field corn. So you're going to have some popping issues, um, some quality issues in your popcorn. So it's a huge issue for breeders if field corn can pollinate popcorn. So recently, um, the field corn industry has been introducing more germplasm from Mexico. And inadvertently, they have introduced a field corn gene that can pollinate popcorn. So that's not being monitored currently. So there are field corn hybrids being grown next to popcorn uh, throughout the United States that can pollinate popcorn. So what my research is looking at is the distance that this field corn, this special new field corn, um, can pollinate popcorn. So what up to what distance can it be cross-pollinated? The difference between field corn and popcorn, uh, really visually you're not going to see a lot of difference to the untrained eye. When it comes up in the field, it's going to look mostly the same. Um, if you knew you planted it at the same time, the field corn is going to be a bit behind, or excuse me, the, field, the popcorn is going to be a bit behind the field corn. 
Um, once it tassels, you can tell the difference. So a popcorn tassel is much more droopy than a field corn tassel. Um, it kind of just flops over. Its tassel is bigger than field corn. It's producing more pollen. And then, of course, once you get to a mature, uh, mature ears on the popcorn plant, it looks quite a bit different because field corn is actually dent corn. The top of that kernel is going to dent in, whereas popcorn is going to be rounded and a very hard shell on it. Yeah, so when you think of just the, the corn that you see driving down the road, most of that's going to be dent corn. We call it just field corn. Um, so it's just that particular um, type of that subspecies of corn. So after everything is all well implanted, everything is just how it needs to be, not too far apart and just nice far apart, farmers can't just sit back and watch their popcorn start to grow. One of their next biggest hurdles is the weeds. Weeds are really important to get out of the field because they're competing for the same sunlight and same soil nutrients and water as the, as the uh, crops. So for most major crops, uh, they have already determined the critical period of weed removal. So what that is is when weeds have to be removed so that they don't create a significant yield loss. So some crops are more tolerant to weeds than others. Um, the idea of doing it with popcorn is that it is a weaker plant than field corn, so we expected the critical period to be a little bit different than the field corn. Controlling weeds with herbicide is a good option in any crop. Um, so it's important in popcorn as well to control weeds with herbicides. So again, there's a lot uh, less options than there is in field corn as far as herbicides. Herbicides are the chemicals that humans use to fight noxious weeds. But in this day and age, of the, the idea of eating chemicals may make some people squeamish. While no fear, everything is made of chemicals. This includes our bodies, our clothes, the cars, the air, and even our food. The real problem arises with the chemical with what different chemicals we put in our bodies, which ones can be good for you and which ones you should stay away from. For consumers, because popcorn is uh, something that everybody likes to eat, uh, and uh, we want to make sure whatever the chemicals we are using are safe uh, in popcorn. And before any pesticide, including herbicide, would label. It goes to a rigorous uh, process of registration that includes number of uh, toxicological profile. Uh, our part is just to do weed control and crop safety, but there are a number of other components uh, before a pesticide or any uh, chemical would label in any crop. Uh, so it's not a single process, but it's a multiple layer of uh, stages that goes in. And um, so once we have confidence, then and then uh, it will go to the market. Number one, um, there is an issue of weed control in popcorn, so growers are more interested in. And the second, uh, why the information is uh, lacking in popcorn is uh, there isn't uh, much uh, funding is available in popcorn, particularly to do some applied uh, research work. Uh, there is limited uh, funding is available, and that's why, and as I told you, industry is sometimes not interested in a crop like popcorn, which is a relatively small acreage crop uh, if you compare with uh, corn and soybean. So there is a lack of investment, there is a lack of uh, research opportunities because of the lack of funding, and um, but still there is a demand because weed control is a permanent challenge in popcorn. So there's a little bit more popcorn research going on, especially at the University of Nebraska. 
so w- with my research, there's also another group at Nebraska that's been in the news recently um, researching uh, quality protein popcorn. Um, the interest has just peaked because there is such a literature gap or such a research gap, a knowledge gap in popcorn research. It's kind of been neglected in the past. With scientific interest in popcorn growing, there is a greater need to be able to get that information out to the people that will actually make use of it, the farmers. Farmers are more interested than ever to learn how they can grow more while also being better stewards to their land. Their work in extension proves to be a a valuable tool. Yeah, so we are an extension research group, uh, Dr. Jawa's lab is. So the best way for us to get that information out is through field days in the summer, uh, crop production clinics in the winter, to extension audiences, and then like crop watch articles. So we conduct uh, our um, majority of research at uh, South Central Ag Lab, uh, which is in between uh, Clay Center and Hastings. And every year we conduct uh, field days. So, for example, every year in last three years, we had a at least one popcorn study was a part of our extension field day that is generally attended by 150 to 250 growers every year. And my PhD student, Ethan Burns, has demonstrated uh, his research as a part of the field day so growers can become familiar with uh, whatever we are doing and they will also get uh, research-based information that they can use on their popcorn fields. Plus, uh, once uh, research is over, um, we also write uh, extension articles uh, and publish them in uh, CropWatch and uh, some other agriculture magazines, for example, Nebraska Farmer or CropWatch or even uh, giving interviews in uh, Market Journal. So, yeah, we make sure once we complete the studies, uh, we try to provide this information to growers through this uh, mass media. Nowadays, growers are also progressive. They have... uh, Twitter account and they check emails periodically. So whatever information we provide um, through CropWatch articles or by giving an interviews in Market Journal, we try our best to provide this link uh, through Twitter and some other uh, venues. Uh, we also include some topics in our winter annual meetings uh, where generally growers can attend those, for example, crop production clinics and all those uh, venues. So now we try our best to make sure we provide information to growers uh, in a number of ways. Yeah, so we have a couple field days uh, each summer. We always have one that's looking at some sort of herbicide-resistant weed control. This year we have a field day at Carleton, Nebraska, where there's glyphosate-resistant Palmer amaranth. So we have a number of projects looking at improving control with different cultural and herbicides, with different cultural practices and herbicide programs. And then we always have our weed management field day at Clay Center at the South Central Ag Lab, where we discuss a number of different products for controlling uh, general weeds, so a normal field population of weeds. Um, And again, different cultural methods that we uh, could use for controlling weeds in corn, soybean, and even popcorn recently. Popcorn is a delicious treat enjoyed throughout the world. As new scientific advancements are made, farmers must adapt. Having scientists on their side makes it easier than ever before. Thank you to our audience for joining us today on this episode of The Husk. Reporting for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Department of Agricultural Leadership, Education, and Communication, I'm Grace McDonald, signing off.